0: hi everyone welcome to the April 22nd 2022 edition of Colorado inside out I'm your host Dominic Dazuty thank you so much for joining us so before we begin I want to address a couple things it was uh, the subject of a variety of tweets about the potential conspiracy theory behind the National Weather Service interrupting our special our, our show last week if you were watching on Comcast you saw it interrupt the show four times twice with our friend David Kopel pontificating on some great points and, and cut right in half from these uh, 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 different updates, and the other person that was also cut off was myself at the very end of the show, where I offered a personal update, and I would want to—I want to reiterate that here, so folks who only caught a little bit of it or wondering what was going on can catch the whole message. Pending the National Weather Service, not yet, uh, not again, stomping all over this one. But I, I wanted to offer uh, my personal update, which is, as they say, all good things must come to an end, and so must my time here at PBS 12. Uh, I will be moving on from the station, and my last day here will be May 13th. So I'll be with you for a few more weeks on this show, and very excited to have that transition time with you. The first thing I want to say is the show is going nowhere. Colorado Inside Out uh, will remain uh, the, uh, our producer, Ellen. And other folks here at the station are figuring out what will come next. So. All that will continue to happen. The show's been around for 30 years. I like to think it'll come around, be around for another 30 more. Uh, I also am just uh, grateful to have this time. So you're going to see, starting actually with this show, some of our friends from our past on the program coming back to join me before I leave. So you will see one of them here in just a couple of minutes. But you'll be seeing that over the next few weeks and some, some great special guests over the next few weeks uh, being able to celebrate this time. And I haven't figured out my next chapter yet, but I'm excited for it. I'm also excited for the future for PBS 12. I think there's some bright things ahead for everybody involved. So um, with that, uh, we will get to tonight's program, uh, courtesy of an interruption free program from the National (laughs) Weather Service. Fingers crossed. The Colorado House State Civic Veterans and Military Affairs Committee was the first stop for an election security and integrity bill this week. After hearing testimony from Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold and Mesa County Clerk and Recorder Tina Peters, the committee approved the bill that would increase security measures for elected leaders who have access to voting machines and other related equipment. As always, Patty Calhoun, we start with you. There may be other Griswold-Peters debates in the future because they're both running for Secretary of State. I think Pam Anderson has something to say about that. But I didn't expect these debates to start so soon. And the way it's juxtaposed, uh, Jenna Griswold is for this bill. Tina Tina Peters is against it. What did you think of what we saw?
1: Well, speaking of conspiracies, the debate (laughs) has been going on since November 2020 on what went on with the election, whether it was rigged, whether it wasn't. And with that debate has been increased threats against public servants, not just people in the clerk and recorder's offices around the state, around the country, but other elected officials. It's really a strange time to be a public servant. And in this case... You would think we would have an adequate security built in to keep our elected officials secure, although we also have elected officials who are being accused, as is Tina Peters, of actually breaking the laws anyway to go in and keep elections secure. So I think the legislation will pass this year, but let us hope that people are calmer as we head into the elections. Let's hope they accept the fact that our election system in Colorado especially is really the gold standard, it's safe, and I can't wait to see Eric Coomer of Dominion go to trial against Fox, that's set for next May.
0: That will certainly be interesting. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. So this, the key thing for me to note is that this election security and integrity bill is very different than the ones we're seeing in Republican-led legislatures in other states. What do you think of this particular bill? Is, is it needed, is it a good idea?
2: Well, let, let's look at the, the, the big picture. The way our country works with our constitutional system and and its U.S. and then the parallel system in Colorado is you don't trust one single individual to have all the power because you're not, if it was George Washington, that would be fine, but you're not always going to get George Washington. You're going to get Aaron Burrs and and other scurrilous characters sometimes. So you set power against power. So when the, the center... The White House in the fall of 2020 tried to steal an election. It didn't have all the power because there was the power in the the, the, sec, the in the states, in the Secretary of States, and then ultimately in the, in the county clerks and all that. Same thing in Colorado. Jenna Griswold is working so hard to use the perhaps criminal misconduct of Tina Peters to hoover up as much power as she can into herself personally. And even if we had a Secretary of State like the, the great Wayne Williams or, or his many predecessors who was very straight up and fair, that would be a bad idea. It's a very bad idea at a time when we've got the most partisan Secretary of State in the, the lip memory of anyone who's, who's currently alive. The bill is a lot better than it was when it started out because the, some of the worst things have been taken out. It would have given the Secretary of State censorship power over the county clerks to say, oh, you made, you made this statement about the election, and I think it's false, and you were reckless in saying it, so I, the Secretary of State, have the authority to squash you as the county clerk. That's the opposite of a fair constitutional system. That's out, um, and there's some good improvements in there on the actual physical security of voting machines
0: also join us denise mayas founder of mayas solutions also a longtime public policy consultant denise it's great to have you here denise um... I, I, I think there's details of the bill here, but then there's also the kind of political questions it stirs up. The whole idea of election integrity, does that stir up other thoughts from people who may not be looking at all the details of this bill, but suddenly think that Colorado elections are at risk when, as Patty noted, they security-wise have been uh, a gold standard since we went to mail-in ballots years ago. Uh, What do you think from what we saw this week?
3: Very, very good points and very good question. Um, you know, there is a lot in this bill. There's there's a lot. And a lot of it does go to how do we make sure that all the elections are run smoothly and that there are — that there is no tampering with a lot of the machines. I mean, I think this bill could have been called the Tina Peters Act, because it really is um, all of the stuff, all of the elements of the bill around the election system's integrity are all about the accusations that the secretary of state has made against. Against Tina Peters specifically. Uh, You know, I listened to this testimony, and, um, you know, uh, Tina Peters really, in her entire testimony, cited a bunch of, you know, um, Colorado Code provisions that were really intended to be the defense, her defense uh, against what uh, Secretary of State Griswold was doing. And so I do think that for someone who just comes to it blindly and doesn't know a lot of the background, yeah, they would start to think gosh, is there really something broken here that we need to fix? And um, I mean, there, there, there clearly were some issues that were, or some systems that needed to be um, fixed up a little bit. That's what this bill does. It does certainly a lot more. But if we thought we had a really gold standard law from our 2013, we ought to feel very, very confident after this bill passes as well.
0: Well, also join us, like I mentioned at the top, uh, one of a a dear friend uh, and part of the legends of Colorado Inside Out, Danny Newsom joins us. Currently the Director of Strategic Partnerships at Cobalt, but a uh, a dear friend and longtime uh, teammate here at uh, Channel 12 in various forms. And Danny, as you and I were producing together and you were guiding me back when I was an intern and we were looking at debates of all the different positions, a Secretary of State debate was gonna be boring and I don't even know if we were gonna go there. Now, it's the prize fight in Colorado, thanks to things like this. When you look at this bill and everything going around, uh, the positions and the personalities involved, what are your thoughts?
4: Well, you know, you had asked the question, Earl, first of all, Dominic, I am just shocked, shocked. <laughs> you have been here forever. I knew you when you were an intern here, okay? That goes back to 96, so um, you are dear to my heart, and um, you, I am Amy. wishing you all the best.
0: Thank you very okay, much.
4: Okay, now, now back to this. Uh, when you ask the question, when you look around the country and you've got election integrity here, you've got election integrity there, the difference is you've got Republicans who are trying to stop people from voting. That's what they're trying to do. You know, th- So these are trumped-up charges, literally. They're trumped-up allegations, never been proven. There's been no uh, voter fraud, for God's sake, except for Mark Meadows, the, uh, Trump's former chief of staff who registered to vote in three different damn states. Anyway, so, um, but what it did, what this whole... Uh, post-election period did show is how vulnerable um, systems are to manipulation by those who by those who want to make political points, who want to amass political power. So that being said, yes, Colorado the legislature uh, did need to act, act to put some um, protections in. Patty's exactly right. The um, Colorado Colorado elections, not just the machines themselves, but ballot boxes, the system of mailing your ballot or dropping your ballot off, it is the gold standard. You know, we don't have Mark Meadows um, voting—we <laughs> don't have Mark Meadows types of voting um, when they shouldn't be in Colorado. And so, um, to the extent that this bill is intended to, to um, firm up some of the softness in the Colorado system, only revealed by people who are lying, um, then that's great. Okay.
0: Absolutely, that uh, makes a, a lot of sense, and I just, it just warms the cockles of my heart to have you back here, Danny. This is great. Let's uh, <laughs> let's get to our next topic. U.S. District Court Judge Philip Brimmer denied a temporary restraining order request filed by the Colorado, Montana, Wyoming State Area Conference of the NAACP, the League of Women Voters of Colorado, and Me Familia Vota. The three entities filed a lawsuit against U.S. Election Integrity Plan, a group accused of going door to door asking voters about perceived election irregularities while sometimes armed. The three voting groups allege that USEIP is intimidating voters and in violating the Federal Voting Rights Act and the Ku, the Ku Klux Klan Act. David, you're one of three legal experts we have on the panel today. So what did you take from this decision about the restraining order and then also the other issues that are going to be uh, coming out on this case as we move forward?
2: Well, for the issues on this case, we'll we'll presumably at some point see actual evidence in court. Uh, judge Bremer is the, the chief judge of the U.S. District Court in Colorado, and I think his opinion sets out things very plainly a temporary restraining order is about the most extreme thing you can ask a court for you're saying I got a huge emergency I'm going to be irreparably injured very soon so your honor issue this order and don't even bother to listen to evidence from the other side that's how big an emergency this is well as Judge Bremer points out in his opinion all the allegations from the plaintiffs, even if you say you, you presume that they're true, the last time anything happened was in December. And he rightly says, you can't have something that last occurred in December, and you're coming in in April saying, give me an emergency order, oh, and, and don't bother to like actually have sworn evidence in court. That was ridiculous, and I can't understand how the attorneys for the plaintiffs could, could ask for something so preposterous. And on top of that, he points out lots of other failures. They didn't, you're supposed to show how you attempted to give notice to the other party when you're filing a temporary restraining order. They didn't bother to do that ministerial step. And these various groups, none of their pleadings even allege that one of their members was injured or, or, or was even affected, that in the, this other group that they don't like the plaintiffs don't even allege that a single member of any of their groups ever talked to one of these alleged bad doers. So it was seems to be very poor lawyer on the plaintiff's point, and the judge had absolutely no choice but to uh, refuse their ridiculous request for a temporary restraining order.
0: Denise, when you see something like this, I mean, this is one of several... Things in play. There's lawsuit. There's accusations of different rights acts, and it, so it's not just this um, request. But if this one does go poorly, does it uh, does it ha- handicap the other efforts as other uh, issues move forward?
3: Well, it certainly might. It, it certainly might, and I do worry about that uh, for sure. Uh, you know, to to Danny's point about. Um, trying to stop individuals from voting, it's pretty clear, at least from the allegations made in, in the initial complaint, that this particular entity, U.S., you know, election integrity plan, um, is really trying to intimidate voters. I mean, they themselves, this particular group, acknowledges that it was going door to door with the attempt to discover election fraud all of which has been debunked uh, since 2020, but continues to go on and on. And it's very disturbing that th- if some of these allegations are borne out, that they were targeting Latinos, um, individuals of color voters uh, coming across as if they were government officials and somehow um, had all this permission to get, get your name, where you voted, how you voted, um, all of that is, is crazy stuff. And I frankly do think it is intimidation, but that's the point. That's the intent. That's precisely what they want to do. And so I do worry that if ultimately the case decides differently uh, or goes, to, uh, goes against the plaintiffs, that it might hurt other efforts. But the one thing that I do appreciate is that there's, being, there's noise being made about these intimidation efforts and we all gotta know about them because um, that's super important.
0: Danny, the old saying says, you know, history doesn't repeat but it rhymes. You are a student of history. Are you seeing any rhyming here?
4: Unfortunately, I am. Um, um, it's, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. Um, in Colorado now, we have a law that um, prohibits anyone from openly carrying a gun uh, within a certain uh, distance of a polling place or a ballot drop-off box, what have you. But there still is the nightmarish um, possibility of people going door-to-door. Uh, sometimes with guns, showing or a badge, a badge, um, you know, giving some kind of veneer of authority when they really don't have it, and questioning individuals. What kind of vigilante bullcrap is this? You know, again, uh, again and again, these are people who are not reasonable. How many times did Trump try? Did Trump or Trump allies try to try to um, overturn the results of the election? And you had at least 50 court decisions just throwing out their claims. There hasn't been any, and yet this is what is still is still happening. This was the reason for the Voting Rights Act of 1965, and people haven't reformed. The Republican Party hasn't reformed. They have jumped. They have doubled down on their desire to restrict certain people from voting. And those certain people happen to be black, brown, elderly, young, and that is what they're doing. So leaving aside whether the lawyering in this particular case was poor or or not, the problem still remains that you have not just individuals, you have a political party intent on restricting the ability of people to vote.
0: Patty, it seems that Colorado is a magnet for hotspot uh, debates like this for the election. Uh, do you think we will continue to be a hotspot spot on this issue?
1: Yes, because we're heading into the election season. It is going to get hot. And even let's let me defend the Republican Party, sort of, which is many. I think the majority of the clerks in Colorado are Republican, and they do a great job. The majority, you know, Tina Peters aside, <laughs> they they are doing a good job. They're being threatened themselves. And we have to support them. Let's remember they're doing a great job. I have to say it's not just the door-to-door. It's the calls you get. Or I look at my mother's mail sometimes and basically fraudulent mailings that look like they're from the government, but they are not. And they are scaring you about voting and what can go on. And we have to remember people have the right to vote. They have the right to vote without being harassed, you would hope, without having guns at the polling place. Let's push what's going, working in Colorado. Let's stand up for it. Let's push it nationwide, if we can. I mean, the, One of the very first states to allow mail-in voting, Amber McReynolds, she was on our cover last week, who is now working on it on a national level, it is working here. Let's support people and let's — I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not going to sue them, but let us mock mercilessly the people who are trying to destroy voting.
0: The latest in housing this week. Monday morning, Governor Polis announced a three-bill package to help address the homeless epidemic. Collectively, the measures would funnel $200 million toward homeless services and housing campuses. Meanwhile, the town of Vail has moved to condemn a parcel of land that Vail Resorts owns and plans to use as affordable housing for staff. Town officials claim that the move is protecting winter refuge for a herd of bighorn sheep. Denise we start with you on this one new programs in Colorado probably based in our urban center and winter refuge for bighorn sheep. Uh, where do
3: you go from here? Yeah those are uh, those are definitely competing interests you know first of all I'm going to just say that I think what's in this um, bill package that was announced is, is really very very good and is very important much needed. Um, I, I worry that a lot of it is is, is too little. Um, in the sense that um, it's, and it's also one time money because a lot of it comes from the uh, rescue package federal funds. And so uh, that's a little bit of an issue, but it's a it's a good idea, it's good programs. One of the interesting things that the governor mentioned when uh, in the press um, uh, conference over these bills is, is, he said, a lot of the work you're going to do on issues of homelessness, you really have to go to the local communities, because that's kind of where it starts. And I think what's happening in Vail is really putting the spotlight on that. Now there's, there's, there's a couple of different sides, of course, as there usually is. You know, Vail says, hey, we'll do a land swap. You can have land somewhere else and do your affordable housing there. There are people that say, look, there's already uh, construction and development in that area where the bighorn sheep are. So that's really kind of a red herring. It's a scapegoat because you really don't want this kind of housing there. So I hope that they work that out because at the end of the day, if you don't have affordable housing for folks, you're ultimately going to be facing a much bigger problem when they are, in fact, homeless. And we should do everything we can to prevent that.
0: Danny, you lost the cover here, especially, you know, the. the, I did not have on my bingo card the homeless uh, debate coming down to bighorn sheep. Uh, And I know it's not about homeless, it's about affordable housing for staff, so people who work in Vail Resorts don't need to uh, come out of rifle. But what do you think about what we saw on both ends of the spectrum here?
4: Well, just starting with Vail, it's really interesting. Habitat for Humanity in the uh, Vail Valley, they they built um, affordable units for teachers. I think um, I was reading it was in Gypsum. So um, I guess it depends on your population, the population you're talking about who can't afford homes. So in the Vale Valley, they're building for teachers and maybe other public service, um, you know, firefighters, other public service entities. But when you look at what's going on in, in Denver, it really highlights that it's not just a housing crisis, it is a mental health crisis. You can't separate one from the other. And what's been happening in our, we don't have a system of mental health care. We really don't. But um, with the, the 60s and 70s, where it was decentral, uh, decentralization, people getting local treatment, people not being, if you will, institutionalized. But we are living with the remnants of that. And so you have a significant portion of people who are, who are um, experiencing homelessness who have way more problems. And I'm thrilled that this package at least is trying to address some of that with denise i'm kind of like well is that is that going to be enough and i'm thinking no it's not but at least realizing that it's you know the homelessness that's almost the end of the line it's how that person got there and dealing with all those those fault lines that led to the person actually being homeless that's so important
0: Patty, when you built affordable housing for Westford employees, did you have to move any bighorn sheep?
1: (laughs) No. uh, No, because they just stay at their desk. That's fine. Uh, You know, so the bighorn sheep issue is obviously a very different one in most situations. Ski areas have had how employee housing issues forever, not just the people who work at the resorts, but anyone who works in the town. They can't afford to live in the town they're in charge of. So affordable housing is a big issue. They will work something out because otherwise there will be no, no employees in Vail. Um, Bighorn Sheep, I would guess the equivalent here would be businesses on the mall, the Denver Partnership that pushed for the camping ban 10 years ago. And we're about to have the 10-year anniversary of that. We don't see that it really solved homelessness. What it did was move where people are homeless. It it allowed sweeps to happen more often. And now the state is realizing it is not just a Denver problem. It's a statewide problem. And certainly the metro areas have to get together, because as you're swept out of Denver, where do you go? You're going to Englewood. You're going to Aurora. So concentrated effort to figure out what kinds of services are needed, and they're all different kinds of services that are needed, is really important. It's a good step.
0: David, wrap it up for us.
2: Well, the this, this show has been talking about homelessness at least since I started being on it in 1988 and before, and Danny was on that or even earlier, and uh, we don't seem to be making much progress on it. Um, so one of the things that looks promising in this is more funding for residential recovery campuses. Like a, a, a fairly long-term housing thing for for people who are substance abuse addicts uh, to start getting on their feet and, and transition with, with guidance and leadership. We have this at, at, at uh, Old Fort Lyon in, in Los Animas and this is to build more Sounds great. Then I wanted to find out, well, how well do these things work? And you can go to all the advocacy organizations and they tell you about this and that, but they don't ever point you to any studies on that this actually works. Uh, I went to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services for their 2019 study on residential housing for opioid abusers. You know, and they said, yeah, there's not enough data. We don't have much research. Uh, So I hope that when we spend all this new money, uh, it also comes with a rider that you have to spend the money. You have to give the public data on whether it actually does work.
0: Well, it is time for a very free part of the show, Disgrace of the Week, our our bumper sticker edition. We've been a little chatty tonight. Uh, Patty, as always, start us off.
1: Dave Williams, a candidate who wants to be able to use his nickname, Let's Go Brandon, uh, so far on, the, on the ballot, so far, Jeremy Griswold has been wise to say no, but I think we need our own nicknames on this show, and I'm going to lobby for it, like, Dave, I do research Copal. <laughs> it's a disgrace that we don't have those.
2: David. <laughs> <laughs> GOVERNOR POLIS uh, CRITICIZING WHAT HE CALLED THE SOCIALISTIC uh, INTERFERENCE BY uh, uh, FLORIDA with, uh, WITH DISNEY AND SAYING IN COLORADO WE DON'T DO THAT TO COMPANIES LIKE DISNEY AND TWITTER WHICH IS TRUE LIKE IF YOU'RE EXCEL BECAUSE THEN YOU GET TO RUN YOUR OWN re- the REGULATORY AGENCY THAT RUNS YOU. BUT IF YOU'RE IN OIL AND GAS OR IF YOU'RE A SMALL BUSINESS THAT WAS ELIMINATED BY THE POLIS LOCKDOWNS AND uh, THE STATE OF COLORADO INTERFERES QUITE A LOT IN uh, PRIVATE BUSINESSES.
3: Denise? Well, listening to uh, CPR just the other day, there was a a snippet of an interview with the governor where he actually equated anthrax with fentanyl. I thought that was completely disgraceful. It's misinformed, ill-informed, it's just flat wrong, and I think that is disgraceful. Danny?
4: Well, I will say for Governor Polis, his uh, characterization of what um, uh, Ron DeSantis and the state legislature have done, it is fascistic, and it's against the First Amendment. It is government taking steps against a private entity for their speech, okay? And the speech was defending the human rights of individuals. So, yeah, the, the Florida, always. the
1: sunshine's, The sunshine is gone. It's a disgrace.
0: Time to see something nice rather quickly,
2: Patty.
1: A few blocks from here, you have, um, the art park in Rhino and the new library named for Bob Ragland, famous artist.
2: David. The Florida judge who correctly ruled that the decider on masks on national transportation is a decision to be made for Congress. Congress never delegated to the Centers for Disease Control or anybody else the power to make that decision. They authorized quarantines and making healthy people wear a mask is not a quarantine.
3: Denise. Denver City Councilwoman Jamie Torres, uh, she held up a contract uh, with Denver and a collection agency because she didn't want that collection agency to have the authority to collect fines of $300 or less. That's a recognition that fines and fees due to courts really have a disproportionate impact on communities of color and people of low income, Raw, rah
4: The Connecticut House of Representatives uh, passing a bill expanding access to abortion care by expanding the uh, categories of health care providers who can uh, perform abortion care and preventing uh, Connecticut from uh, enforcing any of the anti-abortion vigilante um, edicts that come out of anti-abortion states.
0: And I want to say something nice about my friend, Danny Newsom, one of a couple different folks we're going to have over the next several uh, weeks uh, joining me on my last shows. Uh, as we said at the top of the show, Danny was with me when I was an intern. We've, uh, and, and she's had jobs all around. She's produced shows with me. She's hosted shows, uh, worked all the different uh, areas around here. You've always been such a, a dear friend, Danny. So thank you for being a part of this, uh, the last hurrah shows, and uh, just grateful for you being here.
4: Thank you for having me, Dominic. I'm absolutely still in shock, but it was good to be back. Dave and I, you know, I guess we could do fisticuffs, but we won't. (laughs) We won't, not today. Um, Thank you, and it was good to be back at the table. Thank you.
0: It was fitting that we were chatty today because (laughs) this this is the legacy. That is all the time we have for this episode of Colorado Inside Out. For everybody here at PBS 12, I'm Dominic Dazuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.